I was expecting a scripture reader. I'm sorry. So I, we're going to improvise here. So we're going to look at a passage of scripture. I'm going to read this. It's uh, Acts chapter 16. This is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 40. It's a long passage, 30 verses. It starts out in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and washed them. Or excuse me. So they and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is God's word. And let's let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this, this day, this last day of this old year of 2020. And we're thankful for your sovereignty over all things that have occurred up to this time, up to this time in our lives, Lord. And I, I pray that you would meet with us. I pray that we would continue to worship you in our spirit and in truth. I pray, Lord, for your working in those hearts here today who may not know you, Lord. And may they see your goodness and your grace. And may they receive you, Lord, is our prayer. Open now our eyes to understand what your word teaches and I pray that you would meet the needs of your, your people here this morning. And we pray that you would receive all the honor and glory in this time of preaching your word and singing your praises. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I need to introduce myself. My name is Michael Aiken, and I am one of the pastor elders here at Community. And it is my joy and delight to... Uh, to preach the last sermon in this year. And yes, now in the second service, I didn't have to do this for the first service. If you are anywhere from four years old up to first grade, you are now dismissed. I didn't have to do that first service, but uh, now in this service, and I believe I'll have to do that in the next service as well. 
Okay, so we're, we're at the last year, or last Sunday of this year, and what we're going to do is continue a series that was started back in October of 2019 on the book of Acts. And Pastor Benjamin did the last sermon on that on the 6th of September, 2020. Now, we've had some breaks along the way, and as you know, we've had two series since that sermon, that last sermon. So what I'm going to do is I am going to just spend a little time updating us and just reviewing what Acts is all about. And then we're going to just connect things with the last message that was preached. Now, this whole series is called Without Hindrance, and it's based on Acts chapter 28 and verse 31. But I'm going to read the last two verses of Acts chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. And I'm going to read verses 30 and 31. It says, He, that's Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. With all boldness and without hindrance. Now, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. But I do want to give us a little bit of review here. So, we're going to look now at Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to read just the four verses. I'm going to read the first three verses. I want you to listen very carefully here. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. And then I'm going to read verse 8, which is the Great Commission, just repeated in another different words. And it's, it, this is uh, Luke here speaking. Luke says this, in the first book, this is Acts 1.1, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, Jesus did, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, this is verse 8 now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what was this, back to verse 1, what was this first book that Luke wrote? It was the gospel. And so the gospel is the first book, the gospel of Luke. And now Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. And Acts is Luke continuing to tell us all that Jesus continues to do and to teach. Now, Jesus, in his post-resurrection ministry for 40 days after his resurrection, he taught and then he ascended to the Father. And after he told the believers to stay in Jerusalem and after the Holy Spirit baptized the early church on the day of Pentecost... Jesus continued to do and teach through the apostles and through the believers. So Acts, just think of it this way. Acts is showing us the ministry of Jesus when he is not here in the flesh. 
but is continuing, Jesus is continuing to minister through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Acts of the Apostles is the actions of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit, the action of preaching the gospel throughout the known world. So this morning we are looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 40, where salvation comes to Philippi. Paul and Silas, along with Timothy, are on Paul's second missionary journey. And God's Spirit redirects the apostle to come over to Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is modern-day Greece. And I'm gonna, this is a, a connection with the last sermon that was preached in Acts back on September 6th. It's in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. It says this about the vision that Paul had. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that's a man from Greece, was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. In verse 10 we read, and when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you notice the we and the us? That is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke. Luke is the human author of Acts. And now he is personally present ministering with Paul. Now, what they do, they leave from Troas, which is Asia Minor back then in the first century. It is modern-day Turkey today. And they leave from Troas, that's a town, and then they go to Samothrace, that's an island, and then to a town, a seaport town called Neapolis. That from Troas to Neapolis is about 156 miles. And then from Neapolis to Philippi is another 10 miles. Paul and his team spend some time in Philippi. We don't know how much, but not very long. They're spreading the good news of Jesus. And God has recorded for us the success that the gospel had in Philippi. Now, here's our roadmap for today's sermon. It's two points. Number one, we see that salvation comes to Lydia and her household, verses 11 through 15. Number two, salvation comes to a jailer and his household, and that's verses 16 through 40. So we're going to first look at Lydia's conversion to Jesus. And Paul and his co-workers, they are going to a place of prayer on the Sabbath that met along the river. That's in verse 13. That there was no synagogue there. That's where Paul normally ministered. That shows that there were not many Jewish people in Philippi. There had to be at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. So that means there weren't many there. But Judaism allowed for an outside prayer meeting where you could pray, you could meet, pray, and read the law and the prophets. 
Verse 14 tells us about one of the women. It was women that were at this prayer, this place of prayer. This woman's name was Lydia. And she was a proselyte to Judaism, wanting to become Jewish in the Jewish religion. And she was a Gentile lady from a city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And that city is called Thyatira. She was a very prominent woman, probably, a very wealthy businesswoman who sold purple goods, purple clothing and cloth. Purple was expensive, and those who bought it were rich. To have purple was a sign that you were wealthy. The important thing to see here is that God had ordained her salvation. The end of verse 14 states that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Our God is a God who seeks and saves the lost. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Zacchaeus was a wealthy, despised tax collector who Jesus sought out and salvation came to Zacchaeus' house that day. He was a wee little man up the sycamore tree, right? And Zacchaeus came down and he repented of his sins and had faith in Jesus as his Messiah, his Savior, and his Lord. And we know this because Jesus said that salvation had come to his house and he said that he was a son of Abraham and that means he had faith in Jesus just as Abraham did. We learn this when we read Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 and 7 that Abraham believed the gospel. Abraham believed in Jesus. Abraham was justified by faith alone as was Zacchaeus. Now Lydia's heart was opened by the Lord and she believed the gospel which means she repented of her sin and turned to Jesus to forgive her of her sins. One of my favorite stories at Christmas is the one that Benjamin also finds as his favorite that we learned on Christmas Eve from Pastor Benjamin. And uh, that is the Grinch who stole Christmas. And I have to be honest, it's, it's one of my favorites as well. But I love how the Grinch went from one who hated and loathed Christmas to then one who loved it and just, you know, total, total change. How did this happen? How did this happen, this fictitious story? Well, the story goes that somehow, in some way, there was a heart enlargement. And I remember just watching that as a kid, you know, just seeing this little heart and then breaking that, that frame that was around that. Now, <clears throat> the heart in Scripture is not the physical cardia pumper, but it is the center of who we are, where we make decisions. And the good news of the book of Acts, since Peter first preached in in Pentecost, that Pentecost was this, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 21, which is a quotation of Joel. Lydia experienced what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again, Jesus said. We must have a second birth, 
a spiritual rebirth where we are born by the Spirit of God and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. As Jesus said, and this shows the unpredictability of the of the new birth. Just like we had nothing to do with our first birth, so we have nothing to do with our second birth. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from. And so it is, or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Paul knew that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And he knew that faith comes by hearing the word of the gospel. So everywhere Paul went, he was preaching the good news of Jesus. And God was drawing sinners who were dead in their sins and giving them new life. The miracle of new birth was occurring as Paul was preaching. Lydia's conversion teaches us that God is sovereign in salvation. Lydia was spiritually dead. That means she was dead. She was at the bottom of the ocean dead. Not alive, bobbing up and down on the water, crying out for help. No, she was dead. In this, and God opened her heart. The Bible pictures all of us as spiritually dead. We need God to do a sovereign work in our hearts so that we can believe in Jesus. Jesus said no one can come to him. Jesus says it this way. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's John chapter 6 verse 44. This is the work of regeneration. Regeneration is a word that means new life. So this work of new life is that which the Spirit does, which enables us to believe in Jesus. And it precedes our faith in Jesus because we are dead spiritually. That's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. So how do we know Lydia's conversion to Christ was real? Number one, she listened to the gospel. She was very attentive, very responsive, very interested. That's a change of heart. Number two, she was baptized. That's an evidence. Number three, she was hospitable, which is a form of love. To whom? To Paul and his companions. And there is great application here for us. Believers in Jesus get baptized. Why get baptized? First, number one, because Jesus commands it. The Great Commission is really clear. Be baptized. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, we get baptized because it is a proclamation of our faith. We are giving testimony, we are proclaiming that we are believers in Jesus Christ when we get baptized. Number three, we get baptized because it joins us with other believers. The church, God's family, we have a new family now. It's a visible sign is baptism of God's inner work in your life and my life. 
Another application from Lydia is to be hospitable. I know it's been tough in 2020 to be hospitable, but we've got to be hospitable. And hospitality is showing love for other people and serving them. It is not entertaining them. It is not showing what a great gourmet cook you are or how trendy and fashionable you are with your house. That is the pressure our culture puts on us. And I believe it causes many of us to feel we can't have people over because we are embarrassed that our home isn't up to a certain standard. I I want to encourage you to be hospitable to both Christians and to non-Christians. God can use your hospitality to share the gospel and to be a good witness for him. Remember, in hospitality, you serve people. But now let's move to the rest of the story of how salvation comes to Philippi. We see that Paul and his co-workers are walking to the place of prayer a week later. And they encounter a young woman who is a slave and making money for her owners by predicting the future. She's a fortune teller. Verse 17 says this. It says she followed Paul and us. Crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She did this for many days, and finally Paul had enough. And he commanded the demon to come out of her. After that happened, She was no longer making money for her owners. So what did they do? They had Paul arrested and Silas and beaten and thrown into prison. And now we pick up this amazing story of salvation in in verses 25 through 34. Paul and Silas were the only ones who were arrested and thrown into prison. Timothy and Luke were not. And so Paul and Silas, they were put into the most secure prison. That was reserved for the worst of criminals. And here they had committed no crime. And in these trying circumstances. We learn of God's sovereignty again. In the circumstances surrounding this event. Notice what the abused and beaten Paul and Silas are doing in verse 25. About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Next, God causes an earthquake to shake the foundations of the prison and make it possible for the prisoners to flee. There are many good lessons for us to learn here. First, Paul and Silas are a good example of how to handle difficulty. They respond to the mistreatment by praying and singing hymns to God. I like how the church father of the second century into the third century. His name is Tertullian. He said it this way concerning this passage and concerning this event. The legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. Paul and Silas 
handle difficulty well. Secondly, others, this is the lesson we learn here, others are watching how we respond to injustice and mistreatment. Don't discount or minimize the effect your life is having on others. Your faithful behind the scenes and unnoticed actions and attitudes are what God will use to bring others to himself. I want that to sink in for us. The other prisoners were listening to Paul and probably couldn't believe what they were hearing and witnessing. The jailer was watching and listening as well. And then God in his sovereignty brings about an earthquake. God shakes the place up and the prisoners were able to be free. But Paul and Silas stay put, which is another good example. And the other prisoners stay put as well. Probably Paul's leadership. And the jailer, however, thought that they had all escaped. And when he saw that the doors were open and he was about to kill himself, Paul yells out saying, all the prisoners are here. Don't kill yourself. The jailer was under the conviction by the Holy Spirit as well. And he was troubled in his soul about his eternal state. And so he asked the question. We rarely hear this question today. What must I do to be saved? This is the most important question you and I could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? The answer is that Paul and Silas gives is how to be delivered, how you and I can be delivered from the penalty of our sin and be in a right standing with God. And it is this, believe, that is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Depend upon him and you will be saved, you and your household. Is this a question you have ever asked? What must I do to be saved? The answer is, We are saved from eternal separation from God in hell by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means this. We are depending upon the work of Jesus that he did on behalf of sinners like you and me by dying on the cross where he paid the infinite price for our salvation, our deliverance. The gospel is, is this. It's where we are not good enough to save ourselves and that we trust in Christ alone for our deliverance from sin's penalty, which is eternal death in hell. Our God is so gracious to save us and we praise him. Those of us who have believed, we praise him every day for this great salvation. Are you in a right relationship with God today. Lastly, I would like you to take notice that Paul used his Roman citizenship not for personal reasons, but for the sake of the gospel and the church that was founded in Philippi. Paul made a big deal over the fact that his rights as a Roman citizen were violated in the way he was beaten beaten without a trial, uncondemned. 
And the magistrates, when they found out about it, they knew they were in trouble. And Paul brought this matter up, not not for revenge, but to protect the church. To protect the church when he left from being mistreated by the government in Philippi. And so we learn that there is a time and a place to assert your rights. Paul did it for the sake of Christ and his church. And may we have this same heart for the Lord and his work as the apostle did. We learn today by looking at the gospel ministry in Philippi where salvation came to Philippi. That God is sovereign in salvation. We saw that with Lydia. We saw that with Lydia and with the jailer, that baptism is a visible sign of an inner reality and that it is God's will for believers to be baptized. Maybe that'll be an application for you in this year of 2021. Have you been baptized since becoming a believer? And lastly, we saw that God in his sovereignty brought about circumstances which brought a jailer to his knees pleading for God's salvation. And that's encouraging for us to know that God wants people right with him more than we ever will. And that he uses our good example. He uses our words. He uses our efforts to bring people to himself. And may we trust him to bring about the salvation of people who desperately need him in the end of this year. At the end of this year, what's left of it, and into the year of 2021. And may all the praise go to our great God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we we come before you. You are our God. You created us. You created us good. But in Adam, we have fallen. In Adam... It's not good news for us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We thank you for the miracle of rebirth. We thank you for your your sovereignty. Not only in our salvation, but in everything that occurs in this life. We thank you for the time that you give us. Help us, Lord, to use the time that you give us in this year of 2020 and into 2021. Help us to use it for your glory. And may you receive the praise as we live for your glory. And we pray, Lord, that you would draw people who do not know you. Maybe people here today. May they know of your love. May they know of your judgment if they reject you. And may they turn to you as our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.